To conclude his distinguished career, legendary Australian herbalist Dennis Stewart will present his final course, a professional extension in herbal medicine. Commencing on the 23rd of November 2019, this 12-day intensive course will be held over a period of 12 months on the New South Wales Central Coast. This will be your last opportunity to participate in detailed learning with Dennis, covering relevant, effective herbal prescriptions to treat an expansive range of conditions. For more information and to register, please go to lakespa.com.au. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And joining me in the studio himself today is Paul Keogh. During 12 years of full-time naturopathic practice commencing in 1987, Paul, Paul developed a unique clinical approach synergizing the pharmacological and energetic effects of Western and Chinese herbal medicines. In 1999, he co-founded Global Therapeutics to commercialise clinical insights and fund ongoing research and development. This work culminated in the launch of a small range of integrated Western and Chinese herbal medicines under two brands, Fusion Health and Oriental Botanicals, in 2001. Paul has extensive knowledge of herbal medicines on both a technical and practical level, ranging from sourcing, extraction, and including clinical applications. Welcome to FX Medicine, Paul. Thank you, Andrew. Now, Paul, we're going to be talking about something that A, is dear to my heart, and that's herbal medicine, and B, confuses the hell out of me, and that's Chinese herbal medicine. <laughs> so, <laughs> See if uh, I can help demystify that. <laughs> well, you indeed, I need to let our listeners know that you are the one who saved my mind. You saved my ethics of herbal medicine, if you like, because I was going down the standardised is the way to go um, herbal medicine. And and I do find that that is clinically relevant to a point, yeah. but I don't find that they are quote unquote actives. They may be more important as markers, mm. um, but you were the one who saved me from going down that very pharmacological road. And um, I think it was Dennis Stewart who might have said the words, just because, what is it? A, a good red wine is not defined by how much resveratrol there is yeah. in it. <laughs> that would have been Dennis. Sure. <laughs> that would have been Dennis, I'm sure. It, it had to relate to wine or beer. Yeah. And indeed, you've got a very close relationship with Dennis Stewart, haven't you? Yeah, really close. Not that we catch up as often as I'd like, but... I did see him a few months ago and had a good chat. Well, let's go back down that road because you have, as I said, extensive knowledge. So what was it that first drew you to do naturopathy, herbal medicine first? Wow, that does go back a long way. I'll, I'll, I'll make <laughs> that really short. But it, it was uh, quite um, a perchance experience when I was in my early 20s, having travelled around a bit and trying to find myself and got into healthy living yeah. and knew that uh, there was definitely something in it but didn't understand it well. Um, you know, back in the early 80s, late 
70s, early 80s, there was a bit of a doomsdayist. We weren't up to 1984 yet, you see. So there was a, a bit <laughs> oh, of a mentality the book. that, the, yeah, that right. um, the world could end, mm. you know, that things I could become it. dire. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, if things do come dire, the one thing that will, will be of value is an understanding of health and wellness. Um, a lot of people will mm. probably want some simple solutions. And so I looked around for some herbal medicine courses because that's what interested me most. Um, Why? Well, I think because nutritional therapies, uh, food-based therapies were and vitamins um, sort of all had uh, relevance and, and, and but they were represented pretty well back in that day. Well, not well, but they were represented back in that day by nutritionists and naturopaths. I didn't know what a naturopath was. So nutritionists sort of had the field in that respect. And, and it was a perchance um, encounter with a Times magazine that was running uh, interviews, um, Simon Schott and Dennis Stewart and, uh, and um, you know, a number of other leading lights in the day mm. were, were interviewed in this Times magazine, Australian version, I think. And, wow. And I just rang them all up, you know, um, Dorothy Hall as well. I yeah. just rang them all oh. up to have a chat. And they all took my call, like, wow, and I got to talk to them individually and just go, well, what are you doing? Like, yeah. what is this about? And yeah. the person I settled on to study with was Dennis Stewart. So I headed from Brisbane down to the central coast and lived in a caravan and, and started studying with him, you know, which was, you know, certain evenings he'd run courses and then mm. the weekends and he'd do workshops and then he'd have these assignments to do and... It's mm. worthwhile explaining a little bit about the mentality of that middle to late 80s. I mean, this really was the end of the Cold War. In, in fact, it wasn't at the end. No. And, and there really was this, it was like a background subconscious worry yeah. about mm. somebody really did, their have, did, really did have their finger on the button. Yeah. Um, indeed, what was it, Peter Gabriel um, did yeah. a, a tongue-in-cheek song about, you know, a maniac president having their finger on the, on the football, the atomic football, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And waking, you know, the, um, and we wonder where we are now. But anyway. No, there was a lot of anxiety <laughs> back then. And, and, but there was a real belief in the value of nature mm. and, and the contribution that nature could make to the health system. And although it may have been fringe back then, my, my um, strongest desire was to make it mainstream. Right was to contribute to developing a mainstream approach to um, what was called alternative medicine back then and, you know, it's probably better known as integrative and complementary medicine now. So what interested you specifically in traditional Chinese medicine as opposed to Western herbal medicine? Well, I studied Western herbal medicine. So right. I, I, I got a um, diploma of uh, botanical medicine from Dennis yep. Stewart from Southern Cross Herbal School. Mm -hmm. And um, and the principles that I studied under Dennis were, you know, um, physiomedical principles, Western herbal medicine principles, but there were energetic values to them. And he he was a master and still is a master. He is of, a master, yeah. In terms of the training that he gave, it was masterful training in regards to an understanding of the chemistry and the pharmacology from a, a strong Western perspective. But he always talked about the Thomsonian elements and the and the, the energetic elements and, you know, we'd have workshops on Ayurvedic medicine and some introductory stuff on Chinese medicine. So during my training, I was interested in that. But I started my practice as a Western herbal um, therapist. 
And, um, and it was only when some of the Western approaches that I was taking seemed deficient mm. or seemed insufficient. Mm. I won't say deficient, just insufficient. You know, I remember back in the day working on immune therapy and having, you know, some good acute immune remedies and they worked excellently for acute phase, but I had nothing in the restorative class. And I didn't even know what that meant, like restorative mm. therapy for an immune system. Like, well, what? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking, you know, the, one of the, these deficiency disorders or chronic fatigue? And I did start to see some chronic fatigue patients. And then in, you know, in, in the early days um, when uh, candida was big, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, people had symptoms of depletion yep. as a result of, um, you know, digestive dysfunction and, and uh, immune compromise and probably some lifestyle factors there too. Um, and when, because I was practising uh, at, that, at that point up in the Northern Rivers, you know, I saw people who were coming in from Nimbin and the, out, the outlying suburbs of, of, of uh, Lismore and, you know, and I had a small practice in, in, Kyogre, in, in Casino, I mean, and also was centering myself in the Alstonville area. So I had mm-hmm. quite an, a range of people and there were people presenting with deficiency symptoms like resistance problems that weren't just a matter of me stimulating the immune system. And in fact, some cases didn't respond to immune stimulation at all. You know, your echinacea and your andrographis and these sort of more acute active remedies, the people weren't responding. And I'm going, why? Why is that? What's happening? And then when you look deeper into it, and these just weren't <clears throat> the the alternative-minded people. Alstonville, I don't know if you know, but it's like the Baptist heartland yeah. of the Northern Rivers. And very yeah. conservative. Mm. and the local medicos were quite conservative, but, you know, I happened to meet some that were quite open-minded too. So this is a very interesting point that you make because I remember being a nurse, so many of these terms that are used in naturopathy were alien to me. Indeed, the sort of way that you treat was very alien to me because I was used to the the drug disease model. framework, that mm. model of how to combat, how to, and we could, you know, we used to, even preventative health wasn't preventative at all. It was early intervention mm. once you had a diagnosis. Mm. There was nothing preventative about it. But I remember these terms and these frameworks were very alien to me. And so I, I really have this appreciation for somebody who might be listening, you know, to this podcast and going, what the hell are you talking about? And yet it makes sense. Indeed, it made sense to the Chinese culture yeah. for millennia. Mm. So I guess to start off where we're going to go with herbal medicines, and you've just mentioned them, the adaptogens. Indeed, this was one, it was well, a very that's, important that's an interesting point. stepping point, wasn't mm. it, with Dennis yeah. Stewart? Yeah. Because he had this formula e- formula from yeah. experience that just, it was magic, still is today. Yeah. And, and, and it was to address immune depletion, um, not immune deficiency, but immune depletion and immune compromise. Mm. Um, but when you looked into the formula, you saw that many of them were, were um, tonics and adaptogens mm. specifically. And so that was the beginning of my journey in, in, with Chinese herbal medicine. Mm. So this formulation that was based around astragalus, it was an eight Chinese herb formula. And um, it, it, Dennis had originally got it from um, a book written by Dr. Sabuti Damananda, who's in Portland, Oregon. Um, and a really interesting guy. I, I wouldn't mind doing an interview with him. I met him for the first time in my life mm. um, last year. 
And, wow. Um, yeah, and and he he was pretty interested in hearing the story of what had happened to this medicine that he'd f- originally formulated um, and that Dennis had found in a book and then extracted in a Western context, like it wasn't being extracted as well, a liquid. Oh, and Dennis okay. was the one that pioneered It would have been that a decoction. Was, it was just a decoction, right. dried herbs put together. And Dr. Damananda was very surprised at what had happened to it in Australia, not because it didn't deserve to be developed, but because he um, hadn't envisaged that. He hadn't seen that future Wow-wee. for a formula like that. In fact, from his perspective as a clinician, he took that core spectrum of, of, of adaptogens and, and uh, chetonics, let's say, which we can elaborate on, mm. and, and developed specifics, like a whole range of specifics for different uh, nuanced aspects of immune weakness and immune compromise, which is a natural thing to do in a clinical context. But Dennis went ahead and created this formula, which was so, had such breadth of action. Mm. It could be applied in many different diverse many, contexts. Many, many, many. And indeed it, it was and still is one yep. of these, it is a hallmark formula. Yeah. Particularly in the Northern Rivers, there's this real devotion to it, but, yeah. uh, indeed around Australia, but there's this real devotion around the Northern yeah. Rivers yeah. where you introduced it and Dennis used to use it as well. I would dare say down Gosford Way as well. Oh, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Newcastle where he still practices. One of the, one of my, I'm going to call it misunderstandings. Yeah. Let's also maybe call it a bugbear. Um, <laughs> and that is... <clears throat> Do you want to get out your axe and we can grind that a little well, way? Well, I just think... <laughs> We we don't have as a as somebody who has been taught some herbal medicine, but as somebody <laughs> oh, that's who right. I remember that story now, <laughs> yeah. but as somebody who's taught been been taught some herbal medicine, I've had this issue with the immune aspects yeah. of the adaptogens and Which when takes they should us back to when we first met. Uh, yes, that's indeed right. Yeah, and when they should and shouldn't be used, mm. and I do find. There's a real arrogance out there, um, but there's this sort of Western way of interpretate of interpreting the herbal aspects. Sorry, the the properties properties yeah. of a herb, yeah. and that, for instance, astragalus or astragalus, yeah. that you shouldn't use it in an acute situation, or else it will set the infection in. Was the quote that I've been called that right. I've been taught, right. and I questioned it because. When I looked further into it, it was actually unless there is deficient chi. Now, exactly. I've got two issues. Mm-hmm. One is um, when who in the 21st century doesn't have deficient chi? <laughs> well, who in the 21st century knows what that is? <laughs> <laughs> but who isn't stressed? Who isn't overworked, overburdened? And so is this really an acute thing or are we just overstressed, overworked, overburdened, and our immune systems just fall at the first opportunity, in which case a tonic would actually be um, implicated. Yeah, well and truly. So when do you tease apart the use and indeed the avoidance of something Mm. like astragalus or astragalus? Mm. You know, I'd I'd probably put that in really practical terms, and, and I think that should help ease some of your... Um, ang- well, not anxiety, but No, but I'll, I'll still have anxiety. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you must have nightmares too. <laughs> this, this astragalus monster. <laughs> um, because the, the notion of, and maybe we should just wind back a little bit, we talked about uh, adaptogens, we've yep. mentioned chetonics. Is, is a, a chetonic and adaptogen 
or ad, are, and are all Cheetonics adaptogens? Is ah. Cheetonic a subclass of adaptogen or adaptogen subclass of a Cheetonic? Don't ask me that question, so, mate. <laughs> I am not so, the first one. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So if we look at it, like, like let's just look at first principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know an adaptogen is something that helps the physiology of the body cope better with stress. We know that any in, stressor, in, in, any stressor, mm. really. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And there's a whole cascade. The hypothalamic pituitary axis is activated, and there's a whole cascade. Now, when you overlay, oh, and a, a cheetonic is something that um, supports the healthy propagation of qi, and qi is vital energy. Right. And it's not ATP, it's not cellular energy, it's the essence of what um, is, is, is born of the, the kinetic relationship between the opposing or dualistic forces in nature. Mm. Yeah. Really simple. Like and simple unit, but very unit, alien unit, to a medicalised sort of um, approach. Well, yeah, um, but from a medical perspective, we're, we're dealing with the push and the pull of physiology all the time. I mean, you just got to look at the autonomic nervous system and understand, oh, yes. like, in terms of stress, exactly yeah. how much we're in this um, uh, tidal flux from, you know, day to day to day. And mm. we're constantly... Um, correcting and, and and rebalancing. And more and more these days we're told to get into practices that help to calm the mind and mindfulness practices that help reduce that the, that, the flux sort of, and, yeah, the, and yeah. at the, the peaks and the troughs of our um, nervous system response or our physiological responses to things. Because extremes are exhausting. Yeah. Extremes are exhausting. Mm. And in fact, you know, um, low lows are as bad as high highs uh, in that sense. So adaptogens help even it out, mm, right? Mm. So an adaptogen will help your body respond to a stressor mm. more efficiently and effectively and recover, as it were, or normalise its physiological responses and hormonal responses more quickly. Now, a tonic, if it's born or manifest out of the kinetic relationship of opposing forces in nature and the opposing forces we can call yin and yang, mm. let's say. Yep. Um, but, and the chi is basically the manifestation of those oppositions, then we're also looking at a fundamental, um, uh, uh, I guess, source of resistance to the world, you know. Chi fundamentally provides the essential resistance to, to um, the um, impost of our life. And, and it, could be, it could be down to the importance of digestion, yeah. you know, where stomach chi is essential for helping break down our food. You know, liver chi is essential for helping us um, process and metabolise. Um, kidney chi is essential for... Um, this is an interesting one, which we might get to talk to talk about later. But mm. kidney chi is is critical, is really really important for its um, capa- uh, ability to vaporize or mist the the pure water or pure essence mm. of our waste to return good good fluids mm. back into the body, separating it from the bad fluids that will then will then eliminate. Hence- so. 
Hence the kidneys are not a filter but a siphon. Yeah, and, 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 and there's an intelligence there. So I think, you know, the whole point about what, what is a chi tonic, what is a, an adaptogen, well, I can probably um, save you some angst around that because a, an adaptogen is really a, a class, I guess, is, is a type of chi tonic. Mm. But not all chi tonics are adaptogens. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So can I ask then, and this is getting off track a little bit, just sparked in my mind, qigong, yeah. what does that mean? Um, you know, I haven't be, been a practitioner of Qigong. I'm a, I'm a yoga practitioner. Right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but, talk, but there's got to be energy. So, yeah. I don't so know Qigong, Qigong fundamentally is the, is the movement of Qi um, through the body as a, uh, uh, um, resulting from specific postures that, that um, activate meridian centres and mm. points mm. to sh- sort of move energy in a fluid fashion. Now, that energetic flow is the key to good health. In fact, keep qi flowing, you will stay healthy. There's a, there's a traditional Chinese medicine principle that says where qi goes, blood follows. Logical. And that's got all sorts of ramifications in regards to, you know, this stagnant sort of sedentary lifestyle that we have now. So I, I guess my, my point about the, the energetic values of herbal medicine which is, is really fundamentally what, mm. what you were, what were talking about, mm. why incorporate them? Why, why value them when we've got these Western terms that seem to answer uh, our, or, or explain what it is that we're doing with herbal medicine? Well, I think fundamentally the Western terms don't explain adequately mm. what we're doing with our medicine and they don't have a holistic um, vision for how the body works as an integrated whole. And TCM was what gave me the first insights that you could actually influence various organ systems through an understanding of the flow of qi or the flow of, of, of vital energy in the body. And qigong is a way of moving vital energy in the body. Right. Yoga is a way of moving vital energy in the body. It just happens to be called prana in the Ayurvedic system. And to be honest, Western herbal adaptogens, if you break them down, and look at what an adaptogen really does on a, you know, sort of on a functional level, hmm. you, you see things like it can inhibit the initiation and proliferation of pathogens, hmm. right? We know that. And, hmm. and you'll probably get to that question that keeps burning in your soul around should we take astragalus and those sort of um, adaptogenic immune t- modulators hmm. during acute infection? Um, but also these these notions of adaptogens support cellular immunity and they support certain um, lymphatic functions. They regulate endocrine glands and endocrine functions which are part of the resistance process. They, they provide protection of body cells through their antioxidant constituents. Um, they have strengthening effects on digestion. Like this is another reason why be careful when you choose to use adaptogens because mm, mm. if you're you know, um, in a phase of, of, uh, of health or if you're needing to take fight or, f- or, or, or fight, take flight or fight, yeah. you don't want to be bothering yourself with digestion. Oh, we're you, know? adapt- you, you just oh, really okay. want to get going. So choose your adaptogen wisely in that sense because you don't want to be using adaptogens that have, say, a lot of splenic activity from a TCM perspective or stomach and spleen activity because they're the balancing or the regulating organ systems for digestion. 
you don't want to focus attention on that. Yeah. You want to take ginseng, yeah, yeah. you know, which is a really, you know, it's a pure, pure chi tonic. This is like, Korean ginseng. So, Korean ginseng. T- um, it's so, like, they don't classify it as an organ system tonic at all. It's just pure chi tonic. It's like oh, right. Pure and simple. So right. that's why a lot of people have, you know, concerns and issues around it. Whereas astragalus is a spleen tonic and has you know, effects on digestion. So, you know, looking at that, so you get strengthening of certain digestive um, and, and absorption processes, you know, tonics and, and the adaptogens help rectify this sort of homeostatic balance. And not that yin and yang are purely homeostatic regulators, all right, mm. but they are part of that, you know, and there's more to it. Yin and yang has much more to it than just homeostasis. Mm. But they are the opposing forces yep. that 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 regulate or that that regulate nature. And it's that, not as simple as male and female. It's more no, diverse than that. Yeah, it's so, more, so much more diverse. Yeah, yeah. And then the last thing is to potentiate. Like frequently some of these adaptogens have potentiating effects, which probably leads us to that point you made or alluded to. Can you take an adaptogen, an immune modulating adaptogen with immune stimulants? And this is one of my early lessons mm. when I was working with the Western herbal immune stimulants mm. and finding some patients were, were not doing well on them. It was like their body didn't respond at all. And I'm going, oh, the extract must be you know, low grade or there's a problem there. Like I thought immune systems were just you know, like a horse. You just jump on it and, and, it, and, goes. and it goes. Mm. Give it a bit of a, a, you know, a bit of spur and, it, and off it goes. But the thing is, if, you're, if your horse that you've jumped on is knackered, mm. <laughs> literally, <laughs> you need to restore it. You need to tonify it and nourish it. And so I went back to the literature and looked at this and went, what, what is the distinguishing feature? And it really comes down to those symptoms that would represent or reflect chi deficiency. Right. And you'll see that with those patients that I was talking about before that didn't respond to immune stimulation. Yeah, yeah. Um, your medicines failed, but had these um, symptoms of, you know, significant fatigue and um, exhaustion and digestive compromise and low-grade recurrent infections and, you know, but just always had um, uh, sort of uh, that those classic fatigue symptoms. They may even have had a little bit of anemia. They could have had um, some problems with blood because chi leads blood, mm, mm. you know, they, they could have manifest in different organ systems in disorders that don't seem directly related to chi deficiency. But if the blood is stagnating, it could relate, you know, in a chronic context, it could relate to a failure of the chi to lead the blood through the system. You've got to keep chi moving. You've got to keep blood moving. Now, I've got to say, so two points here. One is when you said they weren't working for these patients, yeah. they didn't necessarily quote unquote set the, set the infection in. They just didn't work very well. They required a different approach. Yeah, they just didn't so, work at all. And yeah. that's what I mean. We don't have to be um, sort of overly, you know, evangelizing around or, or, or sort of fundamentalist around mm. what these um, chi tonics do and their strict, you know, um, uh, contraindication during acute infections. Because if you identify the symptoms of chi deficiency in your patient or, you know, in your client, then they need tonification. They need adaptogenicity and they probably should be on those herbs that have... And this is the other thing around adaptogens and immune... And, uh, you know, adaptogens are different classes, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so so are chi tonics. Yeah. So they need the immune modulating adaptogens 
which will invariably have qi tonifying effects, and they probably should be on them all the time, when and if an acute infection uh, manifests, you then just ease it back. Tweak the... Tweak the yep. balance, yep. ease it back, introduce the acute um, immune stimulants and... So you've, and just, then, you've just answered a massive question. So, that, so astragalus is not necessarily quote-unquote contraindicated, but you should be using the appropriate herb for their the patient's needs, whether it be a tonifying herb or a qi tonic. Yeah, exactly. And that's where Chinese medicine has excelled. And, and it's, it's, so more about, it's more about not that it's a contraindication as such, but the, the, the importance is that we look at need, yep. you know, and if someone doesn't need a qi tonic, then by giving a qi tonic, this is the way I've conceptualised it, by giving a qi tonic during an acute infection to a patient who doesn't need a qi tonic because they're strong and they've got resistance, mm. the only value that will have energetically is to the bug because qi tonics are indiscriminate in respect to their tonification. They will tonify the body or they will tonify the bug. Right. So and that's this your is where, this is the, where the, yeah. the, the perception of contraindication comes in. Mm. It's not a real contraindication. It's just be aware of what your patient's needs are. Yeah. And if the patient has fundamental reserves that you can harness through immune stimulant stimulant herbs, mm. then harness those. That will be to the benefit of the patient and the detriment of the infect, infectious, infecting pathogen. Yeah. But if you go, oh, look, you know, I've heard that tonics are really good and I just want to make sure that this patient's got enough on board to fight this infection, unless the signs are there, you just, it's, you're not helping them. So although this may actually be a very, very arrogantly framed question, um, can we, from a Western-type perspective, easily tell the difference between deficient qi and, you know, a, 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 an adaptogenic need um, or even an acute infection, quote-unquote, from a Western standpoint? Is well, I there, think are so. there ways that yeah, you I think do so. this? Yeah? Like the signs and symptoms of qi deficiency. I, I wrote this lovely, I think it's lovely, and people who've got a copy of it think it's lovely too, um, back in the day when I was trying to figure all this stuff out. Well, I need one. Um, this <laughs> I little, need a copy. Little booklet. Little booklet. <laughs> um, uh, it, was, it, it was published um, under the Oriental Botanicals banner. Mm. And it went into all this really intricate detail mm. about what are the symptoms. And, you know, I didn't train as a TCM practitioner. I trained as a Western herbal medicine practitioner. And I, I trained as a naturopath as well. Um, and... You know, I had to figure this out because not that I couldn't go back to training, but I had a young family and I was busy in practice and it was like, no, hang on, something's not working here. I just need to look at the evidence mm. and figure it out for myself. Mm. And traditional evidence is legitimate evidence. The TGA actually acknowledges traditional evidence as legitimate mm. evidence. So mm. I went to those books and, and they were just um, revelational. They, they were, were much more poetic and pictorial, less sort of... Um, analytical and, 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 and sort of uh, linear, mm. do you know? And we're talking about the traditional, the traditional Chinese herbal texts. pharmacopoeia, yes? Yeah, or some of the Materia Medicas. And, a Materia Medicas, yeah, forgive and, me, that's and, the one I was thinking of. And, and some of the, yeah, the textbooks of, of, uh, that were being studied by TCM practitioners yeah. at, in the colleges and the universities, like awesome translations in Western context and great sort of detail on the disease state and what the energetic effects so of the herbs were. Books. And they're very thick books. Yeah. They're very thick books. They're yeah. not lightly no. undertaken. No. And they're not, they're not so light when you pick them up, <laughs> but when you start to read them, I found them incredibly light. All right. Yeah, okay. because they told a story. Yeah. They didn't require rote learning. They, 
they developed concepts of health and disease mm. and healing mm. and an integration of those herbal f- qualities and properties with the with the relative deficiencies and insufficiencies and dysfunctions within the body and then associated those two together to give you indications for different remedies. So the simple answer on, uh, in terms of the signs and symptoms of qi deficiency, I mean, it really does depend on the organ meridian system that's affected, but fundamentally it's a lack of energy, it's uh, dizziness, it's uh, blurred vision, shortness of breath, sweating, um, with little exertion. Do you know, like those yeah. cases that will present and they'll sweat with little exertion. They're, they're depleted. Um, a weak voice, pale, pale complexion, um, and then you get into some of the tongue, tongue and pulse signs, so they'll have a pale tongue. They may even have a little bit of a furriness on the tongue, which indicates there's digestive involvement too, spleen deficiency and mm. spleen chi deficiency particularly, and then a, a weak pulse and obvious susceptibility to minor infections. So they're the things that you'll see for someone who's in need of a chi tonic. But if they're not, do you know, and they don't have any of those sim- signs and symptoms, but they present with something like you know, a pathogenic infection, fever and inflammation and headache and a full and distended sort of pulse if you do pulsing. And it's probably not a bad thing to learn. I never learnt it so I, and I never applied it. I always wanted to. But you might see signs of a facial flushing. Um, um, you could also get blurred vision there, but the vision that's blurring in deficiency is more just weakness and tiredness of the eyes. And someone will say, oh, my eyes just can't focus. Yeah. But whereas the blurred vision in that inflammatory, you know, um, state of infection without the deficiency signs is going to be more as a result of, you know, uh, the fever. And, and there'll be bloodshot eyes and there may be sort of ringing in the ears and throbbing in the head and irritability. Whereas in the deficiency state, it's exhaustion. It's just depletion and, and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, essentially uh, um, low energy states. So a practitioner, I think, is aware of that from both a Western herbal perspective or, sorry, a Western clinic, clinical perspective yep. where you're looking at signs and symptoms. Well, of... yeah, this is where my, I guess, my mind was going here. And, mm. and maybe this is, you know, my sceptical part, you know, my, my, the roots in my orthodox um, training with nursing yeah. is when you're describing those symptoms, like the first set of symptoms, and yeah. I'm thinking heart, I'm going, you know, pallor, sweating, dizziness, anxiety, yeah. blurred yeah. vision, and I'm thinking blood pressure, acute coronary syndrome, ACS, and I'm worried. So, in, in, in the context so, of infection, we're talking here. Yeah, so this yeah. is the difference is yeah. that we really have to be mindful and be respectful of the whole framework of traditional Chinese medicine because it's not easily, I'm going to make up a word here, equivalated. <laughs> um, it, there's, there's no easy equivalent from Eastern to Western in very many cases. Well, I, I might contradict that mm-hmm. because cool. I think that the difference between TCM and Western um, diagnostics really is about perspective. And it's still looking at the same elephant. Right. It's still looking at the same beast, but just from a different perspective. The Western perspective is very much about diagnostic criteria, you know, and and testing and objective assessment. The Eastern perspective is all about observation. It's about character. It's about nuanced variances in 
personal experience and emotional states. And that's not all mumbo jumbo. That's the practitioner interfacing between nature, as it were, or interpreting the signs and symptoms of nature um, for a patient, for, a, for their patient who can't come to terms with those, who can't deal with them and who doesn't know what to do to resolve them. So they, they go to a West, an Eastern practitioner, let's say, to interpret it in the context of that paradigm. Mm. But when I investigated the interpretation of the paradigm relative to a disease state from an Eastern perspective and then looked at it from the Western, um, you know, uh, symptomatic perspective, because I was trained as a medical herbalist and it was very symptomatic, mm. like like really yes. just symptom, 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 and you associated the botanicals with the symptoms. That was the other area I felt was deficient in my training. Not mm. deficient, but I wanted to explore more. Mm. I had a mm. passion mm. to explore more was this real interpretation of what was on the inside, what was what was really giving rise to those symptoms. And that's where an understanding of the energetic relationship of organ systems and tissues to the symptomatic manifestations of disease gave me the bridge. So I don't think it's, it, it's alien. There's a bridge and the bridge is more and more being articulated in, a, in, in Western language, in, in, uh, in, in ways that can be understood. And maybe I've contributed a little bit to that by demystifying some of those notions of qi and yin and yang. But if you sit down and look at those with a Western mind, seriously, I want to take you on a journey. Yeah. And the journey is an understanding of menopause from a TCM perspective. And at the end of it, I would like to have your feedback in regards to um, is that perspective bridging your very medically trained sort of approach? Great. Medical understanding of the menopause as a hormonal uh, insufficiency manifesting in all sorts of physiological symptoms, which cool. are clearly and, and, and accurately defined in the medical literature. There's no question mm. that there's a good understanding of what underscores the symptoms of menopause and why the woman's experiencing them. But tell me why, you know, when I was in practice, I struggled with the why mm. because those symptoms seemed, seemed so disparate, so diverse. Mm. Like, I, how can it be that you can have, and you can't, like, yes, we understand it's hormonal, but it's not just estrogenic. You know, it's oh, not no. just deficiency of estrogen. No, no, no. There's a whole range of, 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 um, uh, of sort of, other influences that 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 are coming to bear, and you know, sure, we know that estrogen helps to modulate inflammatory responses, and you know, certain metabolic processes, and certainly a, a, a woman who's been ex, uh, enjoying the benefits of estrogen through her menstrual life, uh, menstruating life, and now comes to an end, is going to suffer skin dryness and and uh, nervous system complaints, mm -hmm. and probably mood swings, and uh, some of the depending upon what her menstrual life was like, she may not sail through it. And that is a very good it. point. She may not sail through <laughs> it. And in traditional cultures, there was always an understanding of how to support a woman through that phase. So we get the Western perspective and we understand it hormonally and we understand it physiologically, but it still didn't tell me what herbs to give my patients, mm. which formulas, which herbs. There were so many cooling herbs. There were so many... And, and do we just take a cooling herb because the woman's getting hot flushes? There's more to this concept because 
And, and this is after my journey with the immune system and looking at the Astragalus mm. 8 Chinese herb formulation. I started looking at what underscores menopause, what underpins menopause in an energetic and an organ system dysfunctional context. Mm-hmm. How does that line up with the Western understanding of this being essentially, you know, a life stage mm. associated with hormonal decline, yep. efficiency. Yep. Um, and for which in my day, you know, in the 80s, HRT was all the rage, you know. So I, I open-mindedly, scientifically opened the textbooks and started looking at it. And within like a short while of mm. looking at some of these great textbooks, I discovered that menopause is actually a deficiency condition. It's not a cold condition. It's a deficiency condition. And it's a deficiency of yin and yang. Oh. In different degrees. Right. And the concept that underscores it is that when yin, let's call it, has a cold nature, Mm -hmm. okay, or Mm -hmm. a cool nature. Yeah. Yang has a hot nature. Mm Mm-hmm. When there's deficiency of both yin and yang. Oh, so it's a swinging effect. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. But the, the deficiency is of both yeah. in different degrees. Right. But the reality is that yin is the more material um, energetic quality of the body, mm. the substantial, the condensed, the, 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 the f- more physical. Yang is a little bit more ethereal it also tends to be expansive. It also tends to rise and yin will condense. So if there's deficiency of the of yin, there's nothing to anchor yang. So therefore the what hot flush comes the up from your boots. It does. The yang as an energetic quality rises mm. and with it comes heat. Mm. And it's not it's not the heat of inflammation and infection. It's the heat of deficiency. Right. And it's this notion of deficient heat, which is the, is the underpinning of the, of the Chinese energetic, the TCM energetic concept of menopause. But the other big thing around it, that, that around menopause and TCM, I discovered was that, that for yin and yang to have, um, to, to be replenished, particularly um, yang, because uh, yin, essentially, because it's very condensed, yin has, it has um, presence in all organ systems. You know, there's no cellular presence in, a, in an organ um, if there's no yin. Mm. So yin is there and there's qi there. There's, there's vital energy there that helps drive the, the functional processes of that tissue or that organ system. And there's yin because there's substance, okay? The cells have substance. Right. But the yang is supplied by the kidney organ meridian system. And if the kidney organ meridian system is depleted, then the, the organ function, or sorry, the cellular function of the organs and the tissues will degrade. Right. And you'll get deterioration in the integrity of those tissues and systems as a result of the yang, the yang deficiency. And so you get these really interesting dynamics You've got yin deficiency, so you're getting integrity issues with the tissue, like 
aging f- sort of deterioration. So aging skin. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, um, dry vaginal walls, yep, yep. that sort of skin integrity. Exactly. Even cardiovascular issues, I exactly. would imagine. Yep, bone, bone, bone density turnover, issues. density issues. Memory um, issues. Um, hormone production because endocrine systems have a, a big need for functional tissue. You know, the tissue has to be integral. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the hormones can't be produced. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the deficiency of yang as well, which is the functional impetus, the functional impetus to that potential within the organ system that yin holds. Right. Yin holds the potential within a tissue or an organ system. Yang drives the functional expression. You've got deficiency in both. So then you've got things like the expression of... of sleeplessness, anxiety, the yep. hot flushes. Yep. Is that yep. where we're leading? Is that where you're... Exactly. The really exciting part about this that I got really excited about, yeah, yeah. and I still do, it's, it sends shivers up my spine. When I realised what it what was at the heart of it, it's kidney organ meridian dysfunction, mm. kidney energy deficiency, because I looked up what the kidney organ meridian system governs, and it's just mind-blowing. Do you want me to read it to you? Sure, please do. I've actually got it written down here. So when I when I was looking at the yin and yang, okay, and the fact that yang comes from the kidney organ meridian system and it dry and it and it and it drives the functional um, expression of the organs or the tissues, and mm. yin holds the integrity of those of those organs and tissues. Yep. And I found that kidney organ meridian system um uh, stores and or not stores, but distributes yang to all tissues and organ systems in the body. Yep. Um, and then I looked at what the kidney organ meridian system governs. It's mind blowing. The kidney organ meridian system governs, of course, the physical kidney, mm. but as well the adrenal glands, the ovaries, the testes, the brain, the spinal cord, the skeletal structures. Oh my god! And especially the lumbar and lower back regions, the teeth, teeth, the sphincters, anal, bladder, sphincters, um, the urethra, the inner ear, as well as fluid, fluid fluid. balance, um, the, uh, uh, um, the hormones and other substances, uh, um, uh, um, produced by the, the, the adrenals and the gonads and, and this is coming into more of the, the Western physiomedical yeah, yeah, the or, uh, physiological aspects. approach. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, if you just look at it from a TCM perspective, that list of organs wow. and those, those, that list of tissues, yeah. what do they correspond yeah. to? Mm. Mm. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm. And when, I, when that penny dropped, yeah, yeah. I saw... That would have been more like a sledgehammer. Oh, that was massive. <laughs> I was in practice and I went, oh, my God. Wowee. From an energetic perspective, menopause is a kidney deficiency disorder. Right. It is also, of course, a deficiency of, 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 the, of the regulating um, uh, energies, yep. which are yin and yang, yep. and, and, and the consequences of that um, systemically, but most particularly in the organ, affecting the organ systems that the kidney organ meridian system governs. That was an amazing all, list. all... They're all of the tissues and the organ systems that are affected in the menopause. Yeah. All of them. What I think is really interesting is, you know, from a Western medical perspective, they've tried to look at, for instance, acupuncture. 
Yeah. And they thought, oh, you know, it'll just be working on the opiate system, on the um, endorphin system. Well, actually, no, because you can't knock it out with naloxone. Right, right. <laughs> you can't undo that effect with naloxone. You still right. have an analgesic effect. So therefore, two things. One, it doesn't, the pain gate theory doesn't answer it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and two, it's actually working outside of your endorphin thing. So right. there's another system at play. Yeah, yeah. And yet- Western medicine, Western medicine continues to ignore the eons of tradition of successful practice um, of the Chinese medical um, methodology. But not all. Chinese medical I mean, system. and I guess this is the thing that I found, and maybe it goes back to my days in Austinville when I was collaborating with a lot of conventional practitioners. Mm. And I found that a lot, sadly, uh, a lot of my, you know, fraternity in the naturopathic and herbal medicine, you know, sort of areas, I didn't have a lot of contact with them for many, many years because I was busy running an exceptionally, you know, like incredibly busy practice, mm. um, you know, seeing 60 to 80 patients a week and running my own dispensary and I had staff to assist in manufacturing some of my own extracts because I was a one-to-one, you know, high-strength sort of extract guy. Um, so I was busy just dealing with patient care and and collaborating with their medicos mainly. Um, so I got to look into where the the discord or the disagreement was and see if there was any any anything really substantial. Mm. I, there's not. And and you know whenever I talk to specialists and I talk to um, conventional pharmacists nowadays, and we have such a lot in common. Like there is. And I guess it's because I've spent a lot of years interpreting a very alien system mm. called TCM from a in, from a Western perspective. I did not jump into the TCM camp but you've and learn about TCM yeah. as a TCM practitioner and then try and bring those concepts to the West through from a, from through the eyes of a TCM practitioner. I looked at TCM through the eyes of a Western practitioner, and so when I talked to other practitioners that aren't of my training, I have a natural instinct to look at the world through their eyes. And when I look at the world through their eyes, I see parallels and I see patterns that conform in a really beautiful mm. way to the patterns and forms that come out of um, TCM when I look at it were a foundational part of the Western training. I would hope that you've already had you know, the physiomedicalism that, that, or physiomedical properties of, you know, um, uh, stimulants and relaxants and astringents and so on, mm -hmm. not as well developed as the TCM energetic um, qualities, but look at them, start looking at your herbs energetically and see how you can reinforce Western herbs with some traditional Chinese herbs. There's one more um, phrase that I'd like you to clear up for me. Sure. Blood stasis. Or a roll. <laughs> Blood stasis. <clears throat> um, Help me. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so this is really interesting. Where chi goes, blood follows. Okay. So, blood stasis fundamentally is is efficient chi. Well, it it huh? it may not also always be. It ah, could okay. be that heat conditions have caused um, a congealing of the blood. Let's say. Right. Okay. But blood stasis, keeping the blood moving, is really critical to health and wellness. Keeping healthy chi as the lead to blood is also critical. And I think pre preventative health care, if we want to get back to that terminology, is should be focused on chi and blood. 
and and energetically um, focused on herbs that support that process. But blood stagnation, if we looked at it from a cardiovascular perspective, it doesn't mean the blood has stopped moving, but energetically, because in TCM terms, blood is both the physical substance of the blood, Mm. but also the nutritive forces within the blood. And also, Ah. you know... Poor oxygenation. Exactly. Gases, exactly. gas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you give me the scientific stuff, I'll throw you the energetic okay. yeah. um, terms for it. Because Respiratory may... acidosis, alkalosis, that exactly. sort of thing. Exactly. Right. And, and you're going to end up, if you have blood stasis, which yeah. any TCM practitioner can, can determine. Yeah. And we could go through the symptoms like we did with qi deficiency. What are the symptoms of blood stasis? But you're going to have far-reaching effects. It's not just cardiovascular. It's endocrine. It's... It's um, all the tissues of the body. Qi influences all the tissues of the body. Blood influences all of the tissues of the body. And as a result, it's very important, you know, to understand those two, two of the four yep. vital forces or vital energies. The other two are yin and yang. So if, if the only takeaway today is that there's these four forces in TCM which we need to come to understand, yin and yang as the opposing forces in nature, mm. qi and blood as the nourishing, regulating forces, as it were, within the body um, that, that, that come out of that dynamic interaction between yin and yang, we've got a lot to go, a lot to work the, with. There's so much more. <laughs> I mean, hey, there's thousands of years that we could talk about. Um, what about the the timing of medicines? Can we perhaps discuss that uh, in another podcast? Yes, yeah, because that's that's again. A, I would love there's a, to delve into that. There's a beautiful body clock that they've developed that talks about the timing of taking and when Excellent. you should take based on the organ systems affected. Well, I've got to say, Paul Keo, thank you once more. In my career, you've cleared up something that dogged me for years. Um, you I know, can't not believe just... it's taken us so long to, to, to link up again. <laughs> well, I should have asked you this 20-odd years ago, shouldn't I? So not just, did, not just did you clear up the, you know, me falling down that rabbit hole um, of being re- too reductionist, in my opinion now, yeah. to only look at one or maybe two, um, I call them marker yeah. chemicals rather than quote-unquote actives because we've been disastrously wrong in proving them in showing yes as active in showing exactly. that they're actives indeed yeah. we've changed our framework from you know with st john's wort for instance three different chemical marker compounds over the years um and we're still not on top of it because the one with the evidence is actually looking at flavonoids so so wow. yeah so we, we, we i think we're just being really arrogant when we're thinking that they're actives I do, however, believe that there may be some facility to use them as marker compounds for a framework of quality or reproducibility. But you can't do that with one. You've got to do that with several. Um, you we, know, can, the, we can talk about that because oh, I'm, I'm deeply engaged in the areas of, of, of um, uh, chemical profiling or, or profiling of botanicals and also um, identifying you know, markers and actives and also ensuring that you get a broad spectrum mm. Of, of, uh, of compounds within an extract such that you haven't gone chasing one constituent and, and at the expense of the whole herb. And it's the whole That's herb right. that I think could, we could kick off another conversation around. Paul Keogh, thank you so much for joining me at FX Medicine today. Thanks for inviting me. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. 
If you're a regular visitor to the FX Medicine website, you would have seen many of our great infographics. These are all now available for use in your clinic. You can download them for free. And the high-resolution versions are available for purchase as A3 or A2 posters or as a digital file. Simply click on the button beneath your favourite infographics at fxmedicine.com.au.